Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington and I'm pumped today. I get to interview one of the guys that actually helped get me started. Nick Loper is now a well-known entrepreneur and the founder of The Side Hustle Nation, a popular podcast and blog focused on helping people start and grow their side businesses. Nick is also the author of several books. I actually didn't know how many books he wrote. He may be losing track at this point, but couple of the most popular ones and recent ones, The Side Hustle, How to Turn Your Spare Time into $1,000 a Month or More, and 100 Ways to Earn $1,000. And that one's about how real people make real money on the side. And he has the, pro- uh, excuse me, the Progress Journal out there as well. And there's several others, but Nick is a guy that I, I listened to for hundreds of hours over the years. And it's... um. Yeah, it's a pleasure to talk to you. How's it going, Nick? I do it well. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, I was thinking, that's like, man, going back probably close to nine or 10 years uh, since we first connected with the original niche site project stuff. And yeah, um, awesome to have kept in touch over the years. It's very cool. And then it was only the last couple years at FinCon where we actually got to see each other in person. And you're very tall. I, I wasn't <laughs> quite sure, but... Uh, I when I saw you, I was like, "That dude's pretty tall." What are you like, six four? Maybe six two. You know, I okay. don't know maybe, maybe a little bit taller with shoes on. I don't know. <laughs> with hair, with hair and hat. Yeah, the definitely. hair would help. <laughs> so for people that are only listening, um, we're both bald. So yeah, we we don't have the extra height that we get from hair. So you've got the advantage of the beanie going on today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's a there's like a ball up here. It makes it's like three four inches. So anyway. Yeah, it's su- super cool. And now, you know, thinking about it, I've been working online for about 10 years, which is an interesting point because my corporate career was about 10 years. So soon I'll I'll be doing this longer than I did the corporate stuff. So what yeah. about you? When when did you get started? How long did you do your time at a corporate job? And we'll kind of weave into side hustles and stuff today. Yeah, I started in kind of the dabbling phase in affiliate marketing back in like 04, 05 with like direct link text ads on uh, Google to specific product names, you know, and it was, I, I don't even know if this is still a thing. Like I run a very small amount of Google ads today, paid traffic today, but you know, the, the early days was kind of validating this business. It was in the footwear niche and, you know, a specific model of shoe, like here's where you can get it. And hoping that, you know, your 10, 15% commission could pay for that ad cost and leave some room for profit. And then that kind of validated it and ended up having a site built out. It was called Shoes R Us in its early stages. I wish I had spent more than five minutes thinking of domain names. It was called shoesniper.com in its later versions, but it was, um, it was a, a comparison shopping site, you know, pull in the catalogs from all these different retailers and tell you where you could find the best price on your next pair of shoes. It would earn commission from Zappos and Amazon and shoes.com and all these other uh, shoe stores. And that was the thing that let me quit my job eventually. So I did work corporate post-college. That was 05 to 08 and uh, eventually got up the nerve to quit my job in 08 and become a full-time shoe salesman. Wow. So only three, four years in the corporate world then, huh? Yeah, that was my one and only like real grown-up job. Okay. And si- we've talked a handful of times, so p- people don't know this is deep in the archive, but if people want to go back, you and I actually lived close to each other, but we didn't know it at the time. So you, if I remember right, you worked at Ford, 
you lived in the Dunwoody area and stuff like that, or at least worked yeah, out there. Yeah, before you moved to the mountains, yeah, it was uh, yeah. in Atlanta. Pretty nuts. And I, I try not to go back there. I mean, it's a fine place and everything, but like there's so much <laughs> traffic and it's a good place to grow up and then live there for a little while and then get the hell out. But have you, have you been back to Atlanta recently? Just curious. It's been a few years. We were there maybe 2017-ish, kind of like in the Thanksgiving timeframe. We had some friends who still loved it, lived up in uh, Roswell. So I was able to have Side Hustle Nation community meet up at some pizza place. And it was cool. We had 15 or 20 people come out. And so that was fun. That's nice. It, it is fun to like go travel, have a business activity there. You can charge in a couple things to the, to the company, right. of course, save on a little taxes. And w- when did you start Side Hustle Nation? So you got you got going pretty quick with affiliate marketing. Like the internet was kind of young, 2004, 2005. Eventually you quit in 2008. So when did Side Hustle Nation come about? 2013, so spring 2013, it was born out of kind of a lot of soul searching, to be honest. of so like, well, what, what do you want to be known for when somebody Googles you? A lot of the questions I turn around and ask prospective side hustlers today, like, what do you never get tired about talking about? What do other people come to you for advice on? And you know what, you know what's interesting and exciting to you? And I had found through writing actually a personal blog, you know, for several years prior, that you know deconstructing these business ideas, kind of like these creative, unique business ideas. You know, how'd you come up with that? How'd you get your first customers for that? How how does that work? Like all of that stuff was and still is really fascinating to me. You know, that whole deconstruction, like that zero to one lift off phase and then the one to 10, like, okay, how did you grow it? And I think that is what, I mean, that's kind of what that curiosity drove the show in, in the early days and still drives it today. How many shows do you have total? I, I think last week was 555. Okay. Are you getting, congratulations. That's a huge number. I never, never expected to do 500 episodes. I was nervous you know, I said, oh, okay, I'm going to commit to doing this once a week and you got to pay your hosting bill. And it was like 15 bucks a month. Had it been 25 or 30, like the show might not exist. Cause it was like, well, what am I committing myself to? I just have to keep paying this forever. If I want the thing to exist, am I going to run out of people to talk to? And it's been yeah, really, really rewarding to build the, the networking connections through the show and be able to share some of these stories where I hadn't had no, you know, long-term future vision. It was, you know, position uh, like a lot of side hustles, like, Hey, it's an experiment corner of the living room, $60 mic. Let's turn this thing on see if anybody will tune in and slowly, very slowly, but surely people did. And I think that side hustle message, that lower risk brand of entrepreneurship really resonated. Wow. 555 shows. Are you getting tired? Of well, you've been, you've been at this, you, you've been at this for a while too. I mean, how many are you up right. to? I am, yeah, I'm up to 400 something. I did two per week for yeah. a very long time. And I have another show with Carl Jensen, Mile High Fi, and yeah. we've done a hundred. So I'm technically, I'm probably in the same range of like 500 plus 600 episodes somewhere in there. Um, thank you. But I was going to say, I think you're... I know your show is much bigger. Are you able to share any kind of download numbers or scope of what you're doing and the impact that you're having? Yeah, I mean, we're closing in on 500 or uh, 25 million lifetime downloads. 
on a monthly basis. You know, it's an estimated audience size of around a hundred thousand listeners, which is crazy because you know, from it's it's very, it's like it's an invisible audience in a lot of ways where it's just you or you and a guest, and it's not the corner of the living room anymore. You know, for a while it was my kid's bedroom closet, like I had this little <laughs> studio in there, but. It's it's kind of weird to be to imagine talking to a stadium full of people every week or every month because uh, you don't. Op- I mean, that's the the negative side of podcasting. You don't often get a lot of feedback unless you say something wrong, and then of course people will come out of the woodwork. But it's um, it's really cool. It's a really powerful medium because it takes the same effort to produce a show that ten people listen to or hundred people listen to as one that ten thousand people listen to. So it's something that has some unique scale to it. Yeah, that's a staggering number. You said twenty five million lifetime. Yes, I'm up to it. That's that's so cool. Congrats. Do you do like little celebrations when you hit certain milestones, or do you just kind of every now and then you'll take a look and then you're like, oh wow, we went past twenty million. Yeah, early on it was like you know more paying attention to it. it's kind of it's vanity metrics, right? It's like, well, what's the business that you're building on the back of that? What's the impact that you're having on people's lives? Um, we tend to do more like milestone episodes for. You know, episode 100, episode 300, episode five, like just trying to change it up a little bit and understanding the milestone means more to you as the host than it does to any listener. Like, oh, who cares? You know, it's just another Thursday to them. Like, okay, well, whatever. But it's a, an excuse to try and put on the creative hat and come up with a slightly different format. So there's a, there's an author out there, Chris Gillibo, and I think he wrote the $100 startup, which was impactful for a lot of people. I think when we were coming up, I don't know when that book was published, but one thing he did a really good job on was making it sound simple. And now that I've been doing this for a little while, some of the the stories and the vignettes about specific successes based on a $100 startup, th- there's a lot more to it. It's, it's a lot of hard work and it's a little bit different. But Chris, um, in the last couple of years, wrote a book called Side Hustle, right? And he's a you know big author, and I think it got a lot of coverage. I'm curious, as you know, you Nick, you were you were in the trenches doing side hustle nation for a while. This book came out around 2020. How did it impact your business? Did you have any like emotional reaction to have like a big a big author with big publishers and big marketing behind it um, out there writing a book in kind of your space? So. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. So Chris comes out and he launches the very similar sounding podcast, Side Hustle School. And I want to say this is early 2017 that he launches this. And my gut reaction is like, oh, here comes this multi-time New York Times bestselling author coming in on my territory, man. I'm like, hey, what are you doing, buddy? Um, But the funny thing is, I never saw a bigger spike in downloads than I did that first month. Because, you know, if people searched side hustle podcast, who owned that, you know, real estate in Google, um, his episode, it was a completely different format. His episodes were five to seven minutes, like very short, him narrating this person's story. And it's like, okay, that's, that's cool. And I think a lot of people, so he brought in a lot of new people into the podcasting fold, which was great. And it was like this sampler platter, where it's like, okay, this is cool. What else is out there? And so I think I kind of rode the uh, tailwinds of that a little bit or was able to draft off the popularity of his launch. He came out with the book later that year and, you know, tried to be supportive of that because it was like, okay, after the initial like 
fear uh, and self-preservation reaction. It's like, okay, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats where if people are seeking out this kind of information, you know, one person doesn't have a, mon a monopoly on that, right? They can have multiple content providers. I mean, just like, you know, people can watch you, they can pay attention to niche pursuits, they can pay, pay attention to John Dykstra. It's like, uh, they can pay, pay attention to the authority hacker guys. Like, there's lots of different, you know, avenues for this. You kind of build your own, uh, build your own playlist on the back of that. Perfect. And I, obviously, I've never listened to uh, Chris's show because I didn't know that it was short format, but that is, that is perfect. So it got people just interested enough, but didn't, it, you can't really teach as much in under 10 minutes. And then your shows are in depth. People can go look back through the archive if they're interested in a specific business model and find, you know, 10 or 20 people that did a similar thing and learn like a, a mini course, yeah, yeah. like almost yeah, a mini college study, course. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Okay. He was and super then, gracious. Like eventually like had him on the show to talk about his money tree. Like he kind of wrote a fiction parable book about making extra money a couple of years later. And it was, you know, he's very gracious. He's like, Hey, you know, you're the OG in this space. Like I'm just, you know, so it was, I feel like we have a, a decent relationship. Nice. Very cool. Well, before we shift into how people can get started with side hustles and some of the details, I'm curious about your work week, your work style. So you've been working on your own for quite a long time at this point. So like how many hours a week do you work? How do you organize your projects? A couple other ideas in that kind of area. Yeah, I haven't logged this in a long time and I probably should because it, it ebbs and flows with kids and other responsibilities and now it's ski season. So that's taken up, you know, some time in a good way. Um, but I would probably say I'm in the 30, 35 ish hours a week, um, on average. And that's usually, you know, nine to three ish. And then, you know, maybe a little bit when the kids are you know, vegging out and watching their shows in the afternoon. Um, but sometimes we'll go skiing, sometimes we'll go to the park. It's cool to have that flexibility. Whereas like, I don't know, like skiing is, is maybe more popular than it was like when I was a kid. Cause you'd go up on a random Tuesday now, went on a good snow day. And it's like the line is half an hour long. You're like, well, I either need a more obscure hobby or, you know, these people need to go back to, to work. You know, there are too many, too many people working from home these days. <laughs> It's like, shoot, I was supposed to be doing the entrepreneur life off, off peak living and ah, it's kind of, it's gotten crazy. Yeah. Um, what, what I've tried to keep consistent has been, uh, theme days, which is something I borrowed from Mike Vardy from Productivityist. Um, and so typically that means stacking up or trying to stack up all my meetings, interviews, recordings and stuff on just Mondays. And, uh, you know, previously it was Tuesdays, but then we had school shifts and stuff. Um, and what I found was previously my calendar was pretty open. Hey, you know, book a time with me today. You know, have a call here and it would get, it was really hard to build momentum for any sort of project because you'd find yourself with just a half an hour or 15 minutes before your next thing. And, you know, by stacking them up on one day or, or even, you know, one and a half days, you kind of you freeze up this bigger blocks of deep work time the rest of the week. And I found that really helpful to move some projects forward. And you said about 30 hours per week or so? Give or take. If I had to guess, I should probably yeah. track it again. Yeah. 
just curious for me, I, I've realized I don't want to work as much and I enjoy it. So pr- probably like you, you're picking projects that you want, you're excited, enthusiastic. You could probably work ideal situation if if you had plenty of time. You could do like 12 hours a day because you're so into the work, but obviously family, other hobbies, like you shouldn't work 12 hours a day if you don't have to. So is the 30 hours like kind of your ideal situation or would you trim it down if you had the ability to? Yeah, it's less the time because it is work that you enjoy, but it's trying to get the most output from that time. And that's, that's something that I have historically struggled with is the the delegation, the letting go, the uh, yeah, you're just trying to be a better business owner rather than a business doer. And it's something that, you know, as the face of a personal brand or the voice of a personal brand in most cases, it's kind of hard. Well, how do you how do you do that? And how do you really peel back the layers of what you need to do in the business versus what other people could do in the business? And I always think of the dentist's office as like the perfect example of the of somebody who's outsourced everything that they are not the you know high dollar expert in like they got the receptionist in the front you know scheduling appointments they got somebody else dealing with the insurance billing they got the hygienist coming in he's only coming in to do the cavities the root canals like the high dollar stuff and so trying to think like that in my own business has been a challenge but uh, is a worthwhile ongoing exercise perfect segue what's your team look like these days it's a lean team of mostly on-demand freelancers and contractors and agencies. So there's one kind of dedicated assistant who's helping me out with the, the you know inbox triage <laughs> to a certain extent, some light customer support and podcast scheduling. We got my editing service for the podcast uh, who I've been with for years and years. They've been great. Um, have a video, newish video person actually started out doing Pinterest for me and then Pinterest kind of died. So I was like, well, have you ever done, how do you feel about editing videos? So she's making some short form videos from the podcast now. And that's been a cool new experiment. Uh, I have a show notes summarizer writer person uh, who is relatively new after the previous guy who'd been with me for years and years finally was like, Hey, you know, my, my, his, my own niche sites have taken off and I, you know, it's been awesome to work with you, but I don't need this anymore. <laughs> it's like, Oh, you know, congratulations. Fly little bird. That's great. Yeah. Um, trying to think of other ones. So I use uh, Zen WP as uh, kind of a, my outsourced IT department. Like if anything breaks on the website, if I want to tweak something, um, it's kind of like website insurance in a way. Um, use Bench for bookkeeping. Um, I have a service called OK Relax, which is uh, a low dollar amount per month for a dedicated VA to just do random one-off tasks, mostly for recurring stuff. Like, hey, every Wednesday, I need you to run this report or I need you to, you know, move this table. I don't know. Kind of little stuff, but all very, very lean um, uh, and uh, and on-demand in that way. Perfect. And I, actually, I remember, okay, relax. I completely forgot that I used that service based on your recommendation at some point. So I think I yeah. used them for about a year until I brought on more like an executive assistant type person that needed... I don't know, like some higher level stuff that I was going to train and wanted to make sure they weren't going to bounce around or anything like that. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it sounds like you're outsourcing quite a bit and you are focusing, you know, mostly on the stuff that you should be working on. Is there any piece where you're, you're thinking it should be something that I delegate, but you're still doing it for some reason? Yeah. The biggest thing that I have the hardest time with has been uh, content, written content. 
um, just because you know, historically, I mean, I'm still kind of like in this transition phase from like, oh, this is a personal blog to, uh, you know, a media site and trying to make that transition. And there's, there's plenty of articles. Like I love doing the keyword research and finding those like, oh, look at the search volume. You know, it's a KD seven. Like I could rank for this like in a week. And it's just, I get those things are exciting to find, but then you look at, well, it's going to take four hours to create, or it's going to take six hours to create. It's like, uh, that's hard because all the writing that I get back from different writers is like, that's eh, okay, but that's not how I would have phrased it. And it's like, trying to let go of that to the extent that it even matters, or at least maybe you let it index, let it age. And then if it starts to gain some traction, like, okay, let me go back through and really polish this up. Because um, I do think that's become a unique skill set of mine. It's like, I you know, talked about it on a recent podcast, called it like the turd polishing of, of, of outsourced content. And, and even guest content, like, oh, hey, you know, you want to write a guest post for me? Sure. I'd love, you know, starting from your template of 2000 words is probably still faster than me writing it from scratch and cleaning up. So that's, I don't know, but that is an ongoing struggle. And I don't know if, what your process is, or if you're still running a portfolio of different sites, but uh, yeah. it's hard when it's your name attached to it to say like, all right, I'm going to sign off on this and say that I, uh, you know, that, that I wrote this. Right. That is a super tough one. And largely the stuff that I used to write, I just, I don't publish it anymore. And I've shifted over to mostly podcast and YouTube creation. And I mean, part of it is pure laziness, unfortunately. <laughs> but I mean, part of it is like, I just want to spend time on other stuff. But the thing is in our industry where everyone's a marketer and it's hard to compete with them because they're so good. So you end up in a situation where maybe somebody's hungrier, they want to work harder, they're going to spend a lot more time on it than I'm going to. And like you said, cost of entry might be four hours. And if you really want to compete, then you have to spend 12 hours or something like that. And I quickly find something else to do <laughs> that's more fun. <laughs> yeah, you know, procrastinated on it. Like, but And on the flip side, like, if you invest in the time, you build this kind of evergreen asset, I call it planting money seeds, where it's like, that could go on and generate revenue for months or years. It's it's probably a worthwhile trade-off, but it's like that upfront initial cost is uh, is challenging to do. So what I end up spending more time on is updating and maintaining and trying to like, you know, maintain the moat around the stuff that's already ranking and generating revenue. And that's because as that library of content grows becomes like painting the golden gate bridge it's like by the time you get to the end of the list it's like well i gotta start back over at the beginning and are you doing all that revision and stuff like that on your site hey, yeah okay yeah that's that's a lot of stuff you have a lot of content out there so okay let's move on to some side hustle topics so we have a pretty good list of questions here. I'm going to shoot through some, some were sent in, some are things that are just good questions to ask. So what are some of the most common misconceptions people have about side hustles and how do you address those misconceptions? Yeah. So part of it, I think one of the misconceptions is a side hustle equals a second job. And this is in part due to, um, you know, a moonlighting culture where, you know, people would bartend on the weekends, deliver pizzas on the weekends, and partially to blame for, for you know Uber running ads, like get your side hustle on. And it's like, okay, that hey, that counts. That's a side hustle, sure. But it's doesn't have that entrepreneurial upside that I think a side hustle 
carries that connotation of like, okay, this is something that could potentially scale. This is something that could potentially replace the day job at some point. Um, and so that's kind of one of the misconceptions. I think the other is that, um, you know, this is, this is going to be easy. Like, you know, the, the influencers on TikTok make it seem so easy. But, you know, like you said, we've been at this for a decade or more. It's, uh, you know, this stuff takes time. And you've heard from uh, the Tropical MBA guys, one of the very first podcasts that I listened to, they call it their thousand day principle. Where it's like, it's going to take about three years of consistent, concerted effort to replace that day job salary. And that's what it was for me, at least until I felt comfortable, you know, calling it quits there. It's, uh, you know, there are exceptions to every rule. There are exceptions, you know, people who somehow found a hit right out of the gate, but it, it does take some time and effort to really make an impact here. What are some tips for finding and validating a profitable side hustle idea? Yeah, the common advice, and you've probably seen like the Venn diagram of, well, your, your skills and interests are in this bubble and, you know, what you've been paid to do in the past is in this bubble and, you know, what you love doing, you know, it's, and they're like, oh, the sweet spot in the middle is like if those concentric circles is like, that's your ideal side hustle. But for me, especially early on, there was not a lot of overlap. Like, oh, I like, baseball and skiing and i got paid to sell car parts and i you know love to travel in my spare time and you're like where, where where's the overlap here and so it's really it's really challenging so instead where i mean if you have that you know perfect venn diagram with the bullseye in the center like awesome go for it um for a lot of people what we have to start instead is with pains and problems and so i call this the what sucks exercise and normally like to be a little more optimistic but you know, put the pessimist hat on for this one and just practice noticing as you go through your day, as you go through your week, what sucks? What are other people complaining to you about? What are your spouse or partner, you know, uh, what's bothering them? What's, what are your peers or coworkers complaining about? Because in the, on the other side of that, there is likely a business idea solution to, to make that pain go away. We've talked a lot about selling pain pills versus vitamins so much easier to sell pain pills, make my pain go away. And even look at your own personal spending. This would be, you know, straight out of the Tim Ferriss or Noah Kagan playbook. What am I spending money on? You know, it's like, is there a business opportunity in that, in that space too? Like I'm already a consumer in this niche. How can I go? Like for me, you know, spending money on ski gear or ski equipment, like, okay, you know, is there a review, uh, you know, affiliate opportunity in that space? Is there an affiliate to freelance or is there an opportunity to freelance for some of these resorts in video production or social media marketing or i don't know like they're even just general marketing like trying to play up that hobby or niche idea but it's got to start with pains and problems and bonus points if you can have conversations with decision makers at those like well what what sucks about your job you know if you had a magic wand how would you solve that how would you make that go away what would that be worth to you you know how much does this thing cost you every month um, so starting those conversations, starting with the pains and problems and really, you know, almost out of luck kind of backed into this through, you know, several different businesses, you know, pains and problems like, Hey, there's a lot of different sites that sell shoes on the internet. Where can I find the best price? Like, okay, I can solve that problem. Um, my, one of my other sites that I sold in 2020 was a virtual assistant review site born out of my own pain of how does it, you know, sure. I read four hour work week, but like, how does it really work to hire somebody remotely? Like, are they going to steal my ideas? Are they legit? Like if I send money to some company overseas, like how does that work? How does taxes work? Like all these kind of questions. Um, ended up putting together that 
review site and did, did you know reasonably well over the course of eight nine years of, of owning it but starting with those pains and problems either personal pains or other uh issues that other people complain to you about and I've shifted on this kind of idea for a few years. How important is it to have, quote, air quotes here, passion (laughs) about whatever your niche is or the business model or or anything like that? I know you talked kind of generally like your interest and skills and the overlap. That's a perfect area if you happen to get lucky. But what about passion? Does that really matter for a side hustle? It's a stressful question for me because you're like, well, what are you passionate about? It, it, I don't know. I'm interested in a lot of things, but I don't know if any one of those are my, is my undying passion. And so we had some advice from Nick Huber on the podcast. He's like, you know, super big into storage facilities on Twitter now. And his advice was like, under no circumstance are you allowed to start a business around your passion because people are passionate about the fun stuff like yoga and craft brewing and skiing. And it's like, people are passionate about it. They do irrational things like work for free. Like, that's not a space I want to compete in. And there's uh, also some research from Dan Pink and Cal Newport to kind of back up the idea that passion tends to follow doing the work. So if I ask you today, what are you passionate about? And you're like, kind of like me, like, eh, I, I don't really know. Like, okay, totally fine. Now you have permission to go start a business around something you're uh, good at, around something that you're curious about. And you'll find that the passion follows over time. Like take podcasting, for example had no passion for podcasting when I was first starting. I like, didn't even know like, how to, you know, how a podcast even worked. But over the course of doing it for eight, nine, 10 years, coming up on 10 years, it's something that I've become passionate about, started to identify as a podcaster after doing it for several years. And same thing, painting houses in college, like hard to be passionate about house painting. But, uh, you know, over the course of a couple of summers, you'd be surprised. You start walking down every street. You're like, oh, look up under the eaves. I like, me. I'll come back, give these guys an estimate this weekend. That's a, that's a paint job waiting to happen right there. Perfect. Yeah, and I, I try to rephrase it often to at least, like if you're not passionate, that's cool. Like that actually could be bad, like you're saying in some of the guests. Like, are you genuinely curious about the topic area or maybe it's something that you have been interested in, but you've never been able to put the resources or time into it. So I don't have a great example, but maybe I'm very interested in curling, right? For example, but you never had the opportunity and now you have like something where you can spend time, you can do research. Maybe it turns out you don't like curling or something like that. I'm talking the winter sport for the people that don't know my wife, actually, she's on a curling team. Nice. Uh, here in Colorado. Have you ever curled, by the way? I have I have not. It's pretty fun. It's kind of like a bowling type activity. It's far more physical than you might think, just not knowing anything about it. But it's pretty fun if there's a curling center around you. Okay. Um, it could be fun for the next Side Hustle Nation uh, meetup. Uh, Made it nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure if everyone will be on board, but it's uh, it's a cool group of people. So anyway. Back on topic here, what are some of the most popular side hustles you've seen maybe in the last couple of years, maybe like newer stuff that you weren't aware of before and you have a very uh, broad area you can talk about here and I'll just give you full latitude, so. Yeah, newer stuff. So lots of interesting people playing in the niched productized service space where, um, you know, I think a, a tendency would be to start out as a broad skill 
you know, freelancer, like I'll do freelance writing for you, or I'll do, you know, I'll be your general virtual assistant. So we've seen a really interesting niching down and really powerful kind of branding exercise uh, around like, no, I'm going to be the, you know, guy who collects video testimonials for you, or I'm going to be your Pinterest specialist, or I'm going to be your TikTok special. I'll, I'll slice up the content that you make and create these viral TikTok videos, you know, and, and kind of branding that as a standalone product that people can almost buy off the shelf versus having this back and forth of like an agency. And, uh, you know, I don't want to hire a full-time person to do this or even a freelance person to do this. I just want, you know, a company that's good at this. that has a built-in process that can handle this for me. So that's definitely one area. Um, I think of other ones that have been good. Um, anything like offline in the real world out there? Oh, I mean, the brick and mortar space, not even brick and mortar, but just like, uh, I guess you could take the same uh, philosophy offline, like niche local services. And the reason for that, I mean, I'm talking about, the, you know, the window washers of the world, the home cleaners of the world, the, uh, you know, mobile car detailers of the world, um, you know, the landscaper, you know, to a certain extent, like some of them have higher startup costs than others, but a lot of them, super low barrier to entry the entrenched competition in a lot of markets is operating like it's still 15, 20 years ago. You'll see stuff like, well, you know, fax us for a quote. It's like, no, you know, my millennial homeowner customer base is used to Amazon, like one click or like, tell me when you're going to show up, tell me the price, make it easy for me. And I find the same thing when we're trying to book different services for our own, for our own home. Like, no, just, just don't, I don't, I don't want this back and forth. Just tell me what it's going to be. And uh, it will make that have a good online experience. We had uh, Johnny Robinson on the podcast, super impressive kid. I interviewed him on his last day of college and he'd already built this window washing business in Southern California to hundreds of thousands of dollars. And you know, he said the business really took off when they started to understand online branding and presence. Um, it's just like you know, half, of the, half of the battle is one on Yelp and it's one on the phone and it's one through the website where you know, people, if you give people a good experience there, and then you, you know, deliver a positive experience in person when it comes time to do the job, like you get referrals and recommendations and reviews. Um, it's just, you know, the business really took off. That's an example of kind of the local side of things. Um, I mean, online, I guess we see that same kind of nichification where over the last, I mean, 10 years ago, personal finance was a niche. And now you have, you know, military, you know, budgeting for military families. Like, okay, it's gotten so much more specific and you can carve out that expertise in that space um i think that's you know the the direction that it's going you can always go broader after that but really narrowing down who you talk to uh, has been has been an interesting one i think just like the on i mean have you asked me five years ago like amazon was at the center of so many side hustles from affiliate marketing to fba and, and all of the different flavors of that to kdp print on demand to self-publishing and I mean, it's, it's still a juggernaut, but it's not as big as it once was. Uh, so there's, I mean, lots of businesses around Etsy and other marketplaces, but it's, uh, I don't know. That's, I mean, that's what keeps the job exciting. It's like, there's always new stuff coming up. And have you seen any related to AI and chat GPT? I think when we were setting up this interview, I was telling you, Hey, I'm, I'm pumped about it. I was very skeptical. I wasn't impressed over the last couple of years generally with tools like Jasper or others. There's dozens of them, but ChatGPT represented 
once I got it, it represented like a complete shift. And a lot of people were talking about that, but I'm using it for my specific needs. So YouTube outline prep, uh, titles, show notes, like prepping for interviews like this, like little things that, I mean, I'm not trying to get it to write all my content. Mm -hmm. It's just doing research for me and it does a really good job. So have you seen any in the chat GPT or AI space? I see that as a, as a tool to be used for, uh, webmasters or for content writers or for copywriters to, you know, help me with this prompt, help me outline this thing, um, more than a total replacement of AI writers. Like I watched Matt Diggity's video on like, Hey, look, I built this site to eight grand a month with a hundred percent AI content. And it's like, well, yeah, that was the, you know, original, but then you had people doing the editing and the formatting. It's like, it wasn't a hundred percent after the fact, but it was, I mean, it's still interesting that you're able to accelerate the content production and, and, you know, polish it up enough such that it passes the detection. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and that's the part where I'm like, I think if some, like if people are able to rank with that kind of content, like right now, I think it'll probably go away. I don't think like if the barrier to entry is so low and everyone can do it soon, there will need to be a new differentiator, which it will probably be like quality, actual personal experience, all the things that Google, I mean, we can't believe everything Google tells us, but like all the things they say they want. So, okay, cool. I, and I see potentially some side hustles coming up for like prompt engineering and just being an expert at using the tools to help a business that doesn't know that maybe their social media content and platform can grow by just using those tools as an assistant, not to actually create the content, but just to punch it up. I know my titles have gotten better for YouTube videos just because it's easier to, or or podcast titles, uh, one in the same, just because, I mean, it's really good at coming up with short titles with curiosity, all the things we need in a clickbait type title. So, (laughs) Yeah, I haven't played around with it too much. I was like, hey, you know, write me, uh, an email subject line to promote this episode. And, you know, kid comes back with 10 options. You're like, okay, those are okay. Now make them shorter. And so they short them down. It is pretty cool to play around with. I guess the, you know, the broader umbrella that we could loop that type of business under would be software with a service where it's kind of piggybacking on the popularity of an existing tool, be it Notion or Asana or ChatGPT. But we've seen people do it with QuickBooks, with Salesforce, where it's like, okay, there are people using this tool. There seems to be some investment, marketing investment from the company to increase the number of people using this tool. And I'm going to fill that gap. I mean, even WordPress and Squarespace and Webflow and ActiveCampaign, right? Like tons of different software tools, new ones coming out all the time. If you can be on the earlier side, like establish some credibility and expertise, and maybe you're an early adopter of the tool yourself, you can create some content. I mean, one of my favorite episodes is with Paul Miners, talked about doing this for Asana, you know, several years ago. You, you know, create these, you know, how-to, very keyword-driven Q&A YouTube videos. Hey, I'm Paul Miners. I'm an Asana consultant. Today, we're going to talk about how to do blank in Asana, right? And so you get people calling them up. Hey, could you come, could you do like a virtual, you know, training for our team? You know, several thousands of dollars worth of remote consulting later. He's like, hey, this is, that was a fantastic ROI. I'm making this YouTube video. So lots of different uh, opportunities in that space too. 
Most people getting started with side hustles have a full-time job. How do you recommend people balance the commitment and the time and the resources that they need to put into the side hustle while working that full-time job? Yeah, the key is just being consistent with it and making it a habit rather than a uh, like a sacrifice. And so, you know, Brian Johnson uh, from Heroic would talk about making decisions and not sacrifices. Like, okay, I'm going to decide that starting and growing the side hustle is important to me. So it doesn't feel like a sacrifice to give up some Netflix time or give up a half an hour of sleep here or there. It's You're going to have most control over the bookends of your days, especially if you're still in that day job. And by that, I mean, first thing in the morning, last thing before bed. And so if you can carve out 15 minutes, half an hour on on either side of that, but just be consistent about it. And you, you I mean, you vote your priorities with your time. And so I mean, we're all dealt the same 24 hours in the day. So it's like, okay, well, how can I move this thing forward? Because it's easy to stop, take a break, uh, you know, take a break. And James Clear would be like, look, if you break the chain, fine. Don't miss day two. Don't miss the two days in a row. Now you start to develop the negative habit. And uh, that's, I mean, that's been the key for me. My brother had this little habit tracker that he would use. And like every day, you know, I want to spend five minutes a day working on my website, five minutes a day writing. And if that's all I get to, great. But oftentimes, once I'm started, I'm going to find you know, 15 minutes, half an hour, like I start to build some positive momentum. And it's just, you know, finding the the things you can chip away at, because I'm super guilty of this too, you know, having, you know, items on the to do list that are too big to tackle in any one block of time. And so trying to break those down into the smallest actionable steps that I that I can make progress on that I can feel good about checking off uh, the box and uh, just trying to build some build some positive momentum, if that makes sense. Once people have some traction, they figured out how to balance their time commitments and other resource commitments. Do you have any tips on scaling someone's side hustle into a full-time income or full-time business? Yeah. So you're kind of doing this math equation and it's, I mean, you know, you're mile high five, you know, it's less about what you were making or what you are making at the day job. And it's more about your expenses. Can I, can I cover my costs all with the side hustle income or with the business income? And if you can get it to that level, hopefully you're living with some margin in your life, then, then you're, then you're free. You know, that's, that's a fantastic place to be, especially if you have, you know, a handful of months of, of runway of savings cushions. So you're like, okay, if it blows up, I don't have to go into more debt. Um, but on the scale side, it's like, okay, um, if I'm doing a service business, it is there are lots of ways to scale. I can raise my rates. I can bring on different team members. You know, how am I going to remove myself from the delivery of the thing? Like I can be the, uh, you know, the connector, the foreman versus the bricklayer or something like just trying to think about it in that way. If it's an online business, it's often a formula of, you know, traffic and conversions. How can I get more people to this thing? And what's that traffic worth? Like, what am I going to sell them? Is it going to be monetized with ads, with affiliates, with my own products and services? It's kind of, you know, tweaking those different levers. And to that end, I think uh, Perry Kelly, really powerful book on that. I think if you haven't read it, it's like one of the, you know, uh, one of the must reads in the marketing space to talk about, you know, uh, pricing uh, economics of, well, you know, you know, the 80, there's an 80, 20 to everything. If some people are willing to pay you a hundred bucks, there's a percentage of the audience who's probably willing to pay you a thousand. You know, how do you, how do you differentiate those and, uh, go that way? But I mean, lots of different ways to grow. And, uh, you know, I think about, you know, growing the podcast early on, it was a lot of direct, 
but you know, direct outreach. And it's kind of, you know, the first 50 episodes, like these are not, you know, not what I consider 10 years later to be my best work. But, you know, that's, that's, you got to start somewhere. You got to get in the reps. And it was doing a lot of direct outreach. Like, hey, I started this new project. I would love for you to go check it out. If you're not in the market for a side hustle, maybe you know somebody who does kind of like retraining your network and your network's network. Like, this is what you do now and helping, having them help spread the word for you. What was the name of the book that you mentioned? Uh, 80-20 Sales and Marketing. 80-20 Sales and Marketing. Cool. Okay. So we talked about a a pretty broad range of stuff so far. Is is there anything else to add? I have a few more questions here, but just, you know, people that are like, all right, I I maybe want to make the move into side hustling. I'm not sure like what to do. Any other broad ideas? I mean, on a broad example, I think one thing that's helpful for me is positioning everything as an experiment. I mean, you could bucket the podcast into this as well. Like, hey, look, you know, if it works, cool. I, I hope it does. But if it doesn't, I'm not going to consider myself like an abject failure for having started. Like, worst case scenario, you know, I'll have met some interesting people. Uh, you know, I have grown my network in some meaningful way. I'll have tried something. I'll you know, have learned something. You cross something off the list. Well, that didn't that didn't work or that wasn't enjoyable to do. But I was seeing just enough traction in those early months to say, yeah, this is actually this is actually pretty cool, you know? Uh, you know, other people you know, who, who otherwise, you know, would have no, you would have no business talking to all of a sudden you say, well, I got a podcast, you know, so yeah, I got an excuse to call them up. Um, so that, I think that's really important. I'd read at one point that Amazon is testing at, at any given moment, a thousand different variables. I don't know if this is true or not uh, on their website, like trying to eke out like that next like 0.01% conversion rate improvement. And I think we could apply the same scale in our own lives, like on a smaller scale to say, well, what would happen if I got up earlier? What would happen if I wrote my 500 words a day? What would happen if I did my uh, exercise or my workout first thing in the morning? What would happen if I started this YouTube channel, started making videos, answering people's questions about something that I know about or some software tool that I know about? So I think the, it, it just lessens the sting of the failures that come along the way you know, right. if, it's, if it's an experiment in your mind. So where do you see the landscape of side hustles evolving in the next few years? Maybe you could pick, you know, three years, five years, and what trends and opportunities do you anticipate? And you you kind of alluded to a couple things along the way, but yeah, where do you see it in the, the next few years here? Yeah, the continued nichification, the continued, um, you know, we see people, you know, I guess the, the freelancification of really the whole economy where, you know, it's a full-time uh, employment thing, the job security thing is uh, on a downward trend was, you know, solo operators, uh, you know, maybe piecing together their income from a handful of different clients or a handful of different sources seems to be on the rise. And so the most important thing you can do in that, you know, if, if that's the future trend is like learning that entrepreneurial skill set. Well, how do I have these sales conversations? How do I market myself? How do I position myself? And how do I, you know, hopefully think uh, of myself as a business owner? And maybe you can already do this. Like, hey, I'm already a business owner, but my maybe my day job employer, well, they're just my largest client so far, right? It just got that little subtle shift in mindset to say, okay, this is this is where we're going. Um, other trends, I mean, lots of online business e-commerce trends, you know, using these specific, uh, you know, maybe it's the AI tools, but you're trying to, uh, and it's a way to get leverage. It's a way to you know, stop necessarily trading time for money 
in a way that you know can scale in some way. And that's kind of what we're all after. There's the Warren Buffett line of, hey, if you don't find a way to make money in your sleep, you're going to work until you die. And you know the traditional fire approach is, well, just amass a nest egg of 25 times your annual earnings. And for some people, like in high earning, high tech jobs, like that may be only a, a decade, right? But for, for some people, like you don't have enough, not enough margin, there's only so much you get cut. So you got to increase the income side and you got to find a different way, uh, a different way out. But I think there's, um, it's, it's never, never a dull moment. I mean, I am notoriously bad at predicting the future. So excited, uh, just as long with everybody else to see where it goes. Yeah. I, uh, I always hate that kind of question when people ask me, I'm like, I can't predict the future. If I could, I would definitely not be talking to you right now. So thank you for yeah. <laughs> humoring me on that. that I, mean, one. I guess I just, I kind of see the writing on the wall, like lots of, you know, video content, lots of, you know, you know, position zero answer boxes, especially for informational content. Like if you can answer my question without clicking on a website, that kind of, you know, Google's already trending in that direction. So it's like, you know, so trying to inject your own personal opinions and expertise into those types of articles. Like, yeah, I, that's probably the best defense at this point. And perfect segue again, YouTube. So you've been on YouTube for a while and I can't, remember, but I feel like sometimes you publish a lot, sometimes you go up and down. What's the YouTube landscape for you? Is that accurate, by the way? Like you've had some fits yeah. and starts? Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very accurate. I I love YouTube as a discovery channel. I love YouTube as a uh, incremental revenue stream, you know, whether it's, you know, it's generally been between 500 and a thousand bucks a month in what feels like the most passive income, never mind, you know, the hours that it took to create this video, because it's just like, is bonus money, like I'd be doing it anyways. Um, what is exciting about YouTube, is, and specifically for podcasting on YouTube is there's this search and discovery element that is really bad in every podcast app, like it just, you know, it's really hard. Um, and it, it's just like the, the barrier to entry for a traditional podcast, like, okay, this, uh, you know, I, I have a compelling sounding title that's, uh, you know, oh, okay, that's worth checking out. Now I got to find my podcast app. I got to find this specific show. I got to find this specific episode of the show. And I got to find the 45 minutes or whatever it is to go out and dedicate to listen to this. Like it's a lot, it's a big ask. And so YouTube kind of reduces that friction in a lot of ways, even if people aren't going to sit there and watch two talking heads for an hour. But it's like, I already know what YouTube is. I understand like, okay, this is a podcast. I can have it playing in the background. I think that makes a lot of sense. And then the wild card that YouTube has that podcasting doesn't is this element of, you know, viral discovery where you can kind of punch above your weight class in terms of the number of subscribers you have, where you can start to show up as a recommended video or people, you know, people who watch this also were interested in this. And that's where some of the content has you know, really performed well over there, kind of surprisingly so. Where it's like you know tens of thousands of views, which is a lot for me, or sometimes in some cases over a hundred thousand views, you know views for like a static you know podcast uh, you know video, and so I'm bullish on the future of podcasting or future of YouTube uh, for search and discovery. It's just an exciting you know new frontier to play around with. Have you seen this? Is very new. I haven't seen anyone talk about it. I need to research it myself. There's a playlist type on YouTube that's called podcast. Have you seen that? Yeah, I've been in a couple conversations with my uh, hosting provider and say, you know, if you're going to publish podcasts on YouTube, make sure to have your playlist with the same title of your show. So mine is like the side hustle show, full episode or something like that. Um, and then 
that gives you the freedom to still publish uh, you know, YouTube, you know, traditional YouTube content. It still has permission to slice up shorts and make clips and everything else. But having that dedicated playlist as, as supposedly a best practice, I don't know if I've seen any outsized results from it so far, but it's something that we're actively working on and actively going through the back catalog to video ties though some of them we have video for some of them we don't but like you know trying to clear that up and catch up in a way to get more stuff out into the youtube ecosystem for that discovery cool yeah and i know at some point i really like the audio format and i came at this podcasting first and then just i published it on youtube just to be nice but at this point the youtube views and everything ha it's now outpacing the audio side much smaller sample size than what you're dealing with, Nick, of course. But I now am like, uh, I guess it's YouTube and a ton of people just use YouTube as their podcast player. And one one guy, he's like, ah, I go for runs or walk the dog. And it's YouTube. He's like, I don't even watch you. So Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Like my, like my first million comes to mind where they're YouTube first, podcast second. Every video or every episode they mention you know, lately the gentleman's agreement, like, Hey, look, we're, we, you know, this, this content isn't free. You need to pay us by hitting subscribe on YouTube. And it's like, I've never seen a single one of their videos. Like it's only audio for me. I'm not going to sit there and watch, you know, an hour long video, but it's, uh, it's out there. It's interesting. So yeah, if I'm starting a podcast today, definitely video in mind first and foremost. And then of course you can do, once you have that, you can rip the audio and put it wherever you want. So it is like March of 2023. What's coming up next for you, Nick? What any big goals this year? What's going on? So I always suck at this because it's like, you know, I've got the the flexibility, I've got the financial independence to a certain extent. Like, you know, if tomorrow looked like today, that wouldn't be horrible. Um, but always different experiments coming around. So we've been playing around with some uh, quiz generator stuff to, um, you know, first help people. Uh, you know, narrow down the list of side hustle options. Just like you point me in the right direction. Like your site's been around for 10 years. Like what kind of stuff is going to be most relevant to me? And same thing on the uh, podcast side. Like, look, you got 500 something episodes. Wh where should I start? Right. So answer a few questions at hustle.show and we'll give you a, kind of your curated personalized playlist. So that's one thing that I've been playing around with and then trying to figure out a system to chip away at, you know, these dozens and dozens of keyword ideas that showed up in the keyword research process. Like, I honestly believe like we could rank for these really quickly and kind of stack up, you know, incremental uh, traffic and revenue from those, but just finding the time or finding the system to go out and, and build those and build those in a way that is true to the brand. Awesome. And I like your answer, by the way. I mean, when people ask me, I'm like, I'm in a good coasting mode right here. I'm not trying <laughs> to like conquer the world. Everything's great. So maintaining like you're at a, you're at a good spot to have this uh, inertia to just enjoy your life and go skiing when you want to spend time with the family all that so that's val that's a great answer one of the best it's it's interesting i mean we had talked to paul jarvis on the podcast several years ago he wrote a book called company of one and he talks about early in his career he set out you know, set this goal to have a million dollar business and he's, you know, grinding and pushing it. And like a couple months into this, he's like, oh, I don't need a million dollar business. <laughs> like, and so he kind of comes to this conclusion that most goals are fake. And that's a line that has really stood out to me because it's like, it's the same thing. Like, oh, I want to, you know, double the business. And it's like, does that add complexity 
or does that reduce complexity in my life? Like I'm in the stage of, you know, how do I, how do I streamline and simplify? If the business grows, that's great. And historically it has grown, you know, every year with the exception of just a couple of years where, you know, work was really, really scaled back. But it has, it has grown. I feel like, you know, we're squeezing more out of this, out of the same juice out of every time, but it's, yeah, I don't know. As, as long as the work remains fun and exciting and enjoyable and the results are still there, it doesn't have to you know, double or, oh, I got to 10x this thing to make it worthwhile. Yeah. Goals are, goals are dumb sometimes. So systems are good. Habits are great. So I think we're kind of, we're aiming in the same direction. So I dig it. Very good. Well, where can people find you? Where do you want them to go? Anything to promote? What do you, what do you got going on? Um, I mean, if you're on the sidelines looking for side hustle ideas, uh, sidehustlenation.com slash ideas is a good place to get started. That's my constantly updated laundry list of part-time business ideas. There's no opt-in required over there. Uh, of course, we'd love to have you tune into the side hustle show. Like I mentioned, you get your personalized money-making playlist at hustle.show. Just answer a few questions and we'll give you uh, some ideas on where to start from, uh, from the big archives there. Awesome. We'll link up to all that stuff so people can get to it really easy. Always a pleasure speaking with you, Nick. And um, we'll talk to you soon, man. Thanks, man.